coordinator. Uh, if you don't know what that means, um, that's okay, because I'm learning too. It's a new job for me. And uh, if you have questions about it and what my role as a pastor to pastors looks like, I'm glad to talk to you about it. But for now, I still live in Pittsburgh, and I'm still a free agent, pinch hitter on Sunday mornings. And I believe this is probably the sixth time in the last two years I've had to fill in for someone at the last minute because of COVID. So uh, this is a rather comfortable position for me. And uh, looking forward to it. Glad to be here with you. This morning we are in Mark 1, 2, and 3. One of the benefits of being a campus pastor who shows up on Sunday mornings as a visitor to preach is I can just sort of do whatever I want, including uh, preach from three different chapters at once. And uh, I I promise you this is not a 45-minute long expose of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Instead, uh, what we have here, I think, is a very uh, interesting and beautiful set of portraits. Uh, If I walked into a number of your homes, you'd have portraits perhaps family as it developed, and in some ways, I think what we have here in the first few chapters of Mark are portraits of the community of Jesus, his family, as he wants to see it develop. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus comes, appears on the scene of history after Israel's waited for 700 years. He announces the presence of the kingdom, and uh, when he does so, you have every reason to believe that work of the kingdom to be global, cosmic, as big picture as you can possibly get, uh, the restoration of all things. But then in chapter 2, um, you see him moving toward individuals, uh, healing paralytics and mother-in-laws. And, and so in one sense, in chapter 1, the kingdom is huge, global, cosmic. Everything's in play. And then in chapter 2, if you're expecting huge policies and grand you know, tectonic changes all over the world. Instead, what you get is, I'm going to heal mom-in-law today, like very individual, micro-level, individual changes going on as he brings forgiveness and new life and healing. Now, if you're like me, which is to say a little cynical by nature, you have grand promises being made, uh, like, the kingdom's coming, the whole world's going to change. You sort of wonder, like, where do I slip through the cracks? Or even where do I fit? If I have something that's huge, global, macro, big picture, and very individual, you and you and you, then it's easy for me to ask, like, well, what about the rest of us? Where do we belong in the middle of things? Um, Where do we belong? Can we get lost? Where is our place? What's our role? And I believe uh, we have a great couple of answers for us in Mark 1, 2, and 3 about God's grand plan for us as people. So I'm going to start in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now I'm going to move over to chapter 2. I'll pick up in verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. 
And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And now chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him. He might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. I'm going to pray. Feel free to join me. Our great and kind Father, we pray you would show us wonderful things in your law. Be kind, Spirit, to show us Jesus. Press the good news of the gospel deep into our hearts, that we might only not only know you, but be changed by you, glorify you, and be a blessing to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, uh, right as COVID was getting started, we moved. And even though our move was only uh, about one mile away, uh, it was still a big deal. We've been living in our old house 12 years. We moved in with a two-month-old. We moved out with four children. If you've uh, made a move like that, even if it's only a mile, it's a lot of work. And uh, you're just sifting through a lot of stuff, including discovering lots of memories. You know, if you've done a move like this, you... You think you're ready to move, and then you discover yet another drawing on the wall that you missed. You're like, I thought I painted everything. Nope, there's another drawing on the wall. That's when my kid, who was two, was trying to draw people, and they all looked like aliens. Do you remember that stage? Um, well, uh, we're processing all these memories. We're discovering old pictures, and we find a picture of my oldest son, now 14, then like four or five, dressed as an astronaut. He'd made his own little spaceman suit. Um, and my children, were, well, initially, were being raised bilingual. Um, and so over dinner, he, uh, in typical, like, still astronaut form, uh, basically says to my wife in Russian at the time, uh, something along these lines, about his younger sister, uh, Abiel, Abiel is a pilot also. She also is a pilot. She wants to fly away. Let's put her on our plane and send her away. Um, so, um, you know, as your kids grow up, when they're young, they often want you. And as they grow up, uh, they increasingly sometimes want your stuff. Um, and uh, it's, it's often the case, especially early on, that they don't want their siblings. Um, or they want them on their own terms. It's pretty common. Uh, that we want family on our own terms. And I believe we also do this with Christianity all the time. We do this with Jesus and his people. We want to have it our own way. 
Um, so the last couple of years have been marked by folks who've long thought or maybe believed that I can like Jesus, but I don't necessarily have to deal with his people, his community. And COVID and online worship, which it's a blessing, but it's also a two-edged sword, has given people the ability to really try and sink into the, I like Jesus, but I don't have to deal with his people. And if you're not careful, you actually lose both. Um, And there are people, believe it or not, this may be a little bit strange for you, but it's definitely true for me where I've lived and worked in Oakland, working with college students. There's the possibility that some people may really, really like Jesus' community. They may really love your ministry because you listen, because you care, because you're fun, because you care about them. But they're not at all sure what they think about Jesus. And so we will have people come and hang out with us at RUF for years, processing the gospel, but not really at all interested in committing to Jesus. Not necessarily sure what they think about giving my whole life to this dead Jew, but you guys are pretty cool. Um, And then there's the rest of all of us, I think, and I think this is pretty true for many people. We are pretty sure exactly what kind of people and issues we want ourselves and everyone else to be concerned with, including Jesus. And everybody else can get on a plane. So often we want community, Jesus community, the church, and Jesus himself on our terms. And I'm fairly convinced Jesus won't play that game at all. He won't have it that way. When Jesus calls us to himself, he calls us to his community, not our community, his community. And he gets to set the terms. He gets to set the DNA for what that community is all about. So what we have in these three chapters, these are three stories or three portraits of, of Jesus calling people to himself and to his community. And by doing so, uh, we see different aspects of what that community is, okay? In chapter 1, it's a school. In chapter 2, it's a hospital. In chapter 3, it's the church. And in some ways, all these are aspects of his church, and we'll put it all together back at the end. But we start with the first portrait in chapter 1, that of a school. And uh, in chapter 1, verse 16... Uh, we should be surprised to find any school at all. It would be like if there was school tomorrow. If any of you miserable parents who are homeschooling decide to put your kids through school on July 4th, there's something criminal and un-American about that. And a couple years ago in the city, my kids actually had school on Labor Day. Uh, I don't know if anybody else did, but I'm like, what in the world is going on here? Um, This is just as unexpected, an unexpected session of school. In, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we didn't read it, Jesus, the Messiah, shows up. We've been told in Mark he's the Son of God. And he says, repent, the kingdom of God's here. Now, if someone claiming to be God's son, that we have every reason to believe is God's son, says, repent and believe because the kingdom of God is here, what do you expect to happen next? I might expect the heavens to open, Trumpets to sound, the last day to come. I might expect even the king, the king to say, the king is here. You've lived in rebellion for 700 years. 
You've got 48 hours to get your stuff together and come out and tell me who's with me and who's without me. Any one of those things would sort of make sense. What happens next does not make sense. He starts a school. That's what happens. In verse 16, Jesus goes out and basically starts a school. He recruits, like right on the heels of the announcement of the kingdom, he goes out and recruits two students on the sea, unlikely students, young fishermen from Galilee. Nothing extraordinary about them, except for maybe how ordinary they are. Just a couple young guys, college-age students probably. Nothing per se that seems to recommend them. It feels like if he's uh, starting a team, he's starting with the unintentionally unathletic types. But that makes sense because he's not a, a normal teacher. He's a very unconventional teacher. In verse 17, he issues this invitation to follow me. It's a very personal invite. Almost no school that any of you have ever been to works this way. Um, and I've been around, again, a major university for a long time. My kids go to school. And schools sell career. Schools sell curriculum. Schools might even sell culture. Increasingly, college sells amenities. Come and see this beautiful room to have you yourself in a state-of-the-art gym. All these things. You sell all these things. Jesus isn't selling anything. He is offering himself an extremely unconventional and very personal invitation. And you need to know that if it's weird now, it was weird then too. Jesus is called rabbi throughout the Gospels. Rabbis did not do this. Rabbis had a little bit of money and a place and prestige. And disciples that wanted to study under them would go and beg mom and dad, aunts and uncles, cousins and everybody else and scrounge up some money and put their little academic resume together and go knock on the rabbi's door and sort of beg for permission to be their student. You did not do this. No rabbi came out and recruited his own students. Jesus is just altogether different. And then he has an interesting curriculum, verse 17. I will make you become fishers of men. You're going to be with me, and you're going to be like me, and you're going to become like me. And that's going to require change in you. It's not all about you. It's about you with me reaching and blessing others. It's going to require transformation. And if all this is surprising, and I'm trying to help you understand that it should be, if you've been sitting in the church 40 years, you're like, "Eh, that's what Jesus does. It still should be surprising. He announces the kingdom and he starts a school. That's really interesting to me. What's surprising to me is in verse 18 and verse 20, for reasons that still confound me, they, they do it. Like they drop everything and follow him. I don't know that this makes sense. Um, okay, you're going to start school. I don't really understand what I'm supposed to study. Also, I have a job and a family. One of these guys is married, um, Peter. And uh, how do you explain this? Like, again, working with college students increasingly, and some of you parents or grandparents may have students at this point in life where they're taking a gap year. Uh, You know, I'm taking a year between my studies before high school or college or after college before I get a job. I need to figure some things out. And I'm not against gap years. But that is purely a 21st century American luxury that you can just take a year off to go figure things out or serve somewhere. That's great. 
This was not a gap year. Like, you don't take a year off to follow Jesus when your job is to catch fish to feed your family. Like, these folks, these men had a sense of responsibility to their call, their family, and for reasons that should confound us, they're like, yeah, I should follow Jesus instead. Why? Why would they do that? And I don't know if we have a full answer in our text, but I think it has to start with the power of Jesus' call and the beauty of his person, that when he calls someone uh, and that spirit works in their heart, they come. They come because of his authority and his attraction. And so the first picture of the community of Jesus is a school. He is out to bring people to himself and make them like himself, and he calls people to himself. That's how he does this. And uh, that means uh, the kingdom of God, the community of Jesus, is still a school. Right now, it's a school. And if it's a school, then uh, I have to ask, are you here week after week as a humble, hungry learner? Now, I have to ask this question because I think it's an implication of the text. But I also have to ask it because it's a two-edged sword. Uh, This is a Presbyterian church. Like, Learning stuff's what we do. This is our superpower. Loving people? Eh, I don't know. But uh, knowing stuff, I know stuff. We know stuff. Like, we're good at knowing stuff. We, have, we collect books. Like, like, uh, I haven't even been to your library, but I'm going to guess you have a library. And it's probably better than all the other churches' libraries. Um, and yet, we can feel that about ourselves and then think, I don't need to know anything else. We can get complacent. We can fail to be hungry learners who recognize, I still need Jesus to teach me, and it's about becoming. I'm called to become like him, not just to inform myself, but to be changed, to be transformed. Are we still hungry, humble learners in the school of Jesus? Well, you see uh, that the, the community of Jesus is a school, but it's, it's also a hospital. He's not just out to change us, to transform us. He's out to rehabilitate us. And in chapter 2, uh, we see ways in which this community is also a hospital. It, it begins uh, with an act of mercy. You know, hospitals are often called mercy. There's a mercy, has been a mercy down in Pittsburgh. And uh, it begins here most clearly with a call of Levi, the tax collector. Uh, if the other disciples that Jesus have already called are sort of uh, unqualified, there's nothing very particularly special about them. Their resumes probably don't pop off the page. Um, Levi would have been worse than unqualified. He would have been disqualified. By virtue of his occupation as a tax collector, Raising money for those uh, Roman oppressors, those pagans, and skimming money off the top, which was common practice for the tax collectors, from his own people, he would have been positively disqualified. The only way Levi gets to be a part of what Jesus is doing is by mercy. But think about this. Um, Sometimes, again, we want community, church, on our own way. And almost none of us want that to be particularly messy. But we are now five people into this community that Jesus has started. 
poor fisherman, and Levi the tax collector. There's a good chance they know each other. Levi is a regional tax collector in Galilee. He raises money for a living from this area. He taxes these fishermen for a living. There's a good chance they know Levi. There's a good chance they hate his guts. I'm dead serious. That's the way it works. Um, And you have a messy community here. Handpicked by Jesus. He started it. This is his mess. He made it. And then it gets worse. Because it's not just Levi. It's all Levi's scandalous associates in verse 15. He, Jesus, moves in, sits down, meets them, uh, eats with them. While the uh, unhappy, self-righteous folks stand outside in verse 16 and judge away. And uh, if you put yourself in that scenario, a bunch of scandalous, notorious, messy sinners around the table enjoying Jesus and a bunch of self-righteous people whispering about it in disapproval, and you put yourself right in the middle of it, how do you feel? The chance you feel out of place, awkward, uh, maybe you're angry about it, but I'm not sure any of us would think like, this is great, I'm really enjoying this, this is where I want to be. Right? Do you get the sense that Jesus is the slightest bit awkward or out of place here? Do you get the sense that Jesus is the slightest bit awkward or out of place here? No, not at all. I mean, this is, this is what he does. He ministers all the time to the messy and to the self-righteous at the same time. And he knows they're suspicious of one another and whisper and accuse one another. That's what it's like in a hospital. Uh, It's what it means that Jesus recognizes that the community he's making is a hospital. In verse 17, he makes it really clear to the people that aren't pretty upset about the nature of what he's doing here. He's basically saying, I didn't, I didn't come for the healthy. I didn't come for the righteous. By the way, there are none by nature who are righteous. I've come for the sick. This is a hospital. I've come for the sick. I've come for folks who need care. I've come for folks who need forgiveness. I've come for folks who need healing. I've even come for those folks that are sick, maybe like you self-righteous people who don't know that you need care. That's what Jesus has come to do. That is his mission. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's his mission. Not to gather all the righteous and healthy ones, but to call and gather and rescue and heal the sick and sinful and broken. And so Jesus' community being a hospital for sin-sick, broken people is not some secondary or third concern. When Jesus said, I came for this, that's his mission. Like, you can't say that's not important or the second most important thing or the third most important thing. It seems to me like Jesus is saying, like, this is the thing. This is what I've come to do. If the community of Jesus is a hospital, I have to ask an awkward question. The community of Jesus is a hospital, then where do we fit in? Where do we fit in? Like, who likes to hang out in hospitals? Who likes to go hang out in the hospital? Like, no one wants to go hang out in the hospital. There's probably at least some folks here who work in the medical industry, and you, know, you might like your job, but you don't want to hang out in the hospital. 
you know, school's different. We just left school a minute ago. School's different. You can figure out your place in school, right? Like, I'm, I'm old now, but if I went back to school, I would still be the same guy. I'm, I'm like the jock nerd. Like, I've got a place. I've got a role. I can figure out where I belong in school. You can go back and be in band again, or you do whatever. You can find your spot. Where do you find your spot in a hospital? Right? You don't get many options. And some of the options available to us are we can be the messy ones that need healing. And there may be some of us here that uh, that's you by nature. Uh, you've perhaps in history lived it up a little bit more than people know. Um, maybe uh, COVID barely slowed you down. Uh, maybe uh, if you're young enough, you, you have a YOLO sticker or tattoo somewhere. Um, Maybe you've been a little reckless at times in your life, and that means sometimes you've hurt other people or you've been hurt. Or perhaps it's the case that none of those things I just said make any sense to you about you, but I've just described your niece. I've just described your cousin. I've just described your your neighbors. And if that's the case, then the question is this. Do those people know that the community of Jesus is a hospital for them? Do they know that they can come to a place like this and be received lovingly by Jesus and forgiven and healed? Or is that the exact opposite of what they think about Jesus' people? It's also possible that we might come to the hospital as those who think we don't need healing. Those that are standing outside in verse 16, looking in and judging, looking down on the other messy ones. If that's uh, like you, if that's like me at many times, uh, you're really good at like figuring out what's wrong with other people. Maybe you even think you're a doctor or you know, you're a practitioner of the soul. I can see what's wrong with you. But we can so easily miss what's wrong with us. And we can miss the mess in our own hearts. And we can lack the kind of heart health we need. Uh, the heart of Christianity is, according to Jesus, to love God with your whole heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And seeing other people's mess is not a spiritual gift or a sign of good health. Loving God and loving others is. And do we have hearts that love God and love others, our enemies, our messy neighbors? If not, the good news is the community of Jesus is a hospital. You can check yourself in. I have a prideful heart that thinks I'm better than other people. I need forgiveness. I need to be reminded that I am so, such a good performer that Jesus had to die for me. And checked into the hospital, Jesus can heal our proud hearts. And not only that, once he's healed us, we can actually learn how to love other messy people. Like, you can just sort of stay in the hospital and follow Jesus around. Shadow him, if you will, as a, you know, a young person learning how to love people not like you. Jesus, show me how to love people that aren't like me. There's one other option, if the community of Jesus is a hospital, there's one other option. This is the one I want to put myself in. Um, if I'm considering the, the people in front of me, the scandalous, messy sinners, and the self-righteous do-gooders that look down on everyone, I want to be the person writing the story. Like, I'm Mark. I'm, I'm going to break this forever. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm like seeing it all play out in front of me. I'm seeing the interactions, and I'm sort of 
Like, yeah, that's the way it is. And maybe even a little bemused. I'm sitting in the corner, a little aloof, a little cool, watching it all happen, sort of knowing it better. Um, And there's a sense in which that can be true. But that does not happen in a hospital. Like, who gets to be cool in a hospital? No one's cool in a hospital. Like, you're living or you're dying. You're either sick or you're healing someone else, right? Um, The good news about this aspect of the community of Jesus is we get to check ourselves in under the great physician with all the other folks, including those that we want to invite, who need Jesus' mercy, who need Jesus' healing, who need Jesus' care. So the community of Jesus is a school, and it's a hospital. And lastly, in chapter 3, we see how it's a church. And of course, this is sort of a developing picture. It's one of those old Polaroids. We're sort of putting it all together here. Uh, The community of Jesus, the church, is called to be a hospital where we as disciples learn, and a hospital where we grow and we're healed and we are forgiven and we become more like Jesus. But in chapter 3, we see the seeds or the beginning, the foundations of the institutional church. As Jesus calls his uh, disciples and they are appointed as apostles in verses 13 and 14, he appoints the 12, which is significant. This is not just a happenstance of numbers, just like the promises of the Old Testament where God takes one man and raises 12 out of him to bless the world. That's the picture here. Same plan. Jesus working through one man, Jesus, to bless the world. Um, what are they called to be? What is this early church called to be and to do? And uh, it's very simple in verses 14 and 15. First, they're called to be with him. Um, there's this, uh, it's sort of died down recently, but this is an ongoing thing, especially in America, because we're so individualistic. Whether Christianity is a religion or a relationship, and I, by nature, hate false dichotomies, um, and uh, so there are lots of folks who are like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, it's clearly both. Um, when Jesus called 12 people and told them to do these things, he was establishing a religion. Um, but at the heart of this religion is this call to be with him in verse 14. It's a relationship. And this call to be with him, um, you know, is an invitation to intimacy and to dependence. This would have been really hard for some of us. I don't know if you've ever imagined what it would be like to be one of these early disciples. But especially if you're like a type A, I need to know what's going on all the time kind of person. Uh, Man, it would have been really hard to follow Jesus. What's the plan, Jesus? Uh, We're going to walk to that town. What are we going to do there? We're going to share the gospel. What's going to happen? Probably a bunch of people won't listen. Uh, (laughs) Like, where are we going to stay? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Like, those are the kind of answers Jesus normally gives to what my work is going to be like. Uh, To follow Jesus is to be close to him and to be dependent. And that's what we're called to be. It's always about relationship with him. It's always about gathering with him and one another. Relationships at the heart of it. But we don't just stay there. We're called to go as well. In verse 14, not only called to be with him, but called to witness. He sends them out to preach. They are sent and scattered. Men on a mission, sharing Jesus, proclaiming the good news to the world. 
being fishers of men, seeking, explaining, inviting. We gather together, friends, on Sunday morning to be with Jesus, but we're not just called to stay together. We're also sent by Jesus. And when you leave this morning and head to work tomorrow, you're sent as a disciple to bless the world with the good news of Jesus. You're called to witness. We're called to be salt and light to our neighbors and family and friends. That's what it means to be the church. There's one last thing here in verse 15, and uh, it's probably perhaps the hardest one to understand how it still applies to us. Um, But in verse 15, these men are given the authority to cast out demons. Uh, They're given Jesus' spiritual authority. And, uh, you know, maybe when Matthew gets back, you can ask him to do a whole Sunday school lesson on the nature of spiritual authority and uh, the demonic world. You can tell him I said so. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Um, But what I I mentioned in here is the fact that Jesus is issuing in the kingdom of God, starting a school, starting a hospital, proclaiming uh, the good news to the lost, to the world, but... He is not leaving the spiritually and physically broken behind. He cares for the weak. He cares for the broken. He cares for the oppressed and beaten down. These people are invited, gathered, and cared for. So in in Jesus' community, the church, witness, evangelism goes together with care and service. They go together. Uh, Jesus cares about bodies and souls. And uh, the church, the community of Jesus, to be a place of mercy for the messy, the broken, the disqualified, the people that are proud but think they got their stuff together, the beat down, for all of us to come and find rest and healing, but not just to find it here, but also to go out and make it clear to others that this is what Jesus is like and they can come too. Uh, I'm somewhat aware, like, I don't, I think I drove 20 miles to get here. I live in Oakland. Those 20 miles are a short distance, but a little different in, in culture. Um, so, like, for instance, uh, COVID completely shut down my life for 18 months living in the city. The University of Pittsburgh was completely shut down because it's surrounded by hospitals. Uh, so I don't know what your last two years were like here. Um, but I can tell you, like at City Reformed, it's been so great to be together again. Because for, for 18 months, we could barely be together. We were maxed out at like 20 people or then 50 people. So it's been so good to be together over the last six to eight months. And we should rejoice in that. It's a great freedom Jesus has given us uh, as his people and a great freedom that we enjoy in America. And we should be really grateful for the freedom to be together. However... I want us to remember that it doesn't end there. We're not just called to be together and to celebrate our freedom in that regard. There's responsibility that comes with being the church of Jesus, and that is we don't get to do community on our own terms, right? We're called to be a school and a hospital and a church. That means being concerned about others and taking the mission of Jesus out and blessing others with it. Uh, This is his plan for his people, and we don't get to do community or church on our own terms. We don't get to opt out of certain things. I just want to be part of the school, but not the hospital. we, We don't have the right to do that. This is his church, his community, not ours. Um... So over the last couple of years, uh, our group at Pitt, 
and uh, at least a member, one member of this church recently joined us on this trip. Uh, we've been going to the Yakima Indian Reservation in the state of Washington to serve a PCA church there uh, that does lots and lots of work on the Yakima Indian Reservation. On Sunday mornings, uh, it's Hope Fellowship, little PCA church, and it's like any other PCA church except it's different. Uh, like the kids are away now, so I don't, I, and I sat in the front row, so I don't know how many kids are here, but there's probably like a, maybe kids are like one-third or one-fourth of your church, right? I'm just guessing. More adults than kids. When you go to Hope Fellowship, there's like 60 kids and 20 adults. And why is that? Well, it's not because each family has like eight kids. Uh, it's because the adults are completely absent and not doing well. They're drug addicted. They're absent. They may be dead. They're just not there. But the kids come. Um, so, but it's a church. It's a school. These children and these adults are coming to learn about Jesus, their Savior, on Sunday mornings. And they're receiving the healing of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's a hospital. As Jesus is kind in his love to bring healing and forgiveness and growth into their lives. Uh, one of the things that Sacred Road, Hope Fellowship, does well is uh, they do lots of things well. Uh, advertising and marketing. Um, so lots and lots of T-shirts. And one of their shirts is a picture of a school bus. And underneath it, it says, here comes the church. And if you would see that, like here in Monroeville or something, you'd be like, well, what in the world does that mean? That's weird. Kind of weird church is a school bus. I see school buses and I think, misery. Like, that's, I, don't wanna, I don't ever want to get on a school bus again in my life. All right. Um, but at Sacred Road, uh, the way it works is no one has a car. These children are poor. They live miles away. The, the way that these individuals get to enjoy the blessings of that community is that church has to go out and get them every Sunday morning. So if you work there, you learn to drive a school bus. And you drive out into the reservation, and you pick up anyone who wants to come. And they are so happy to see a school bus pull up because that is the church that's come out to them to bless them on a mission and bring them back into that school, into that hospital, into that church. They might be blessed. Friends, we don't do it in school buses, but the call is exactly the same. Jesus meets with us here to bless us, to teach us about himself, to heal us as his church. And then he sends us out, friends, to be a blessing to people out there, to bring to them the good news of Jesus. Let's pray together. And by the way, I forgot the pastoral prayer. So this will be a little bit longer. So, a Great Father, we thank you for the kindness of uh, your great love for your people, altogether undeserved, and that you, Lord Jesus, in that love did not just feel good, loving feelings from afar, but took action. You came to us. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what we see here in this text, that you, in your great patience, did not just say, you got 48 hours to get your stuff together, but you were kind and forbearing, and you seek to bring healing to our lives, and you seek to bring healing to our world. So we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would work this way in us. Teach us more about yourself and your love. Help us to be humble hungry and humble learners. Uh, bless us that we might be a blessing to others. Help us to be humble and uh, marked with such humility that our neighbors 
and our doubtful friends and our maybe even our um, distant family members uh, would know that you are different than they think because uh, we are marked by humility and love and gentleness. Uh, would you make us a blessing that we might be a blessing to others? Bless this church in that way. Pray for the fishers that you would bring them healing and do so quickly. Uh, encourage his heart as well during this time. Uh, remind him of your love and bring him back refreshed and equipped that he might do the work you've called him to here. Uh, Lord, be kind to equip this church and encourage it uh, that it might be a blessing to its neighborhood. That uh, VBS and other events would be not just opportunities to care uh, for the children that attend here, but that uh, would be pleasantly surprised by neighborhood kids dropping in and, uh, and learning about Jesus. Uh, would you make it so for your glory and for their good? We pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and pray that you would grow your church for your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Would you please stand if you're able? We'll close the service singing Alleluia. Sing to Jesus.